0: My First Record is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Your YourCast, and more. Follow to stay updated with new episodes.
1: Hey, welcome to My First Record. My name is David Brito. I'm a music journalist based in Bombay. And on My First Record, I chat with artists about their debut releases, whether it's an EP or an album. And today, I'm extremely honored to have Suraj Mani with me to talk about Mother Jane's full length debut album, Insane Biography, which came out in 2002. So, hey, Suraj, how are you and what's been happening over the last couple of months with you?
0: Well, first of all, I'm doing good. Nice. Thanks for having me, David. And the last couple of months have been very interesting, to say the least, for the entire world. So forget about me. (laughs) I think uh, it's been interesting. Musically, also, I've done quite a lot in this uh, last two, three months. So I'm in a good space.
1: Super. Uh, so yeah, let's jump into Insane Biography. I remember reading that you said that this album was a lot about life in in, in an entirety. So what can you tell me about what you meant by that?
0: Well, um, this is now an album that's about 20 years old, 20, 18 years old. So suddenly I'm having to remember the songs in it. Yeah, so there was Disillusion, there were songs like Mind Street, uh, Walk On, Maya. Uh, questions, I mean, a, a whole bunch of things. And I basically am a kind of songwriter who will take stuff that is happening in my own lives and put it to music, you know. I have this habit, so to speak, of uh, celebrating what I like in music, and if I don't like something, then I'll find a way to actually make sense of it through music, so yeah. instead biography was, in, in a way, it was the first thing that I was ever doing as a writer because I'd never written any music before. I'd never written any lyrics. I would not done any poetry, and it, it was actually a complete leap into the unknown for me. I'm and I watch how
1: the album opens with uh, Disillusioned, and I read that uh, John once told you that you should write a song called Disillusioned. What do you remember from putting this song together?
0: Uh, it's very interesting. It, it, it was not pre-planned. Basically, we all decided to actually do music together. Like I joined Mother Jane, and uh, within, a, within a month of me joining the band, I was kind of thinking of quitting the band because I was working, I had a business, you know, I was newly married, all those things, and then this band was there, and they were giving me cover songs to, to learn, Metallica, Maiden, Megadeth, uh, uh, Dream Theater, you know, that kind of stuff, and I was like, oh, in the middle of my, all my work, and I was beginning to think that, you know, it is too much of a headache. I really like the band, they're very talented and all that, but one day I kind of called a band meeting and I said that, you know what, I'm kind of planning to quit the band. And they said, why? And I basically said that, you know what, uh, we're singing Maiden now and another 10 years from now, another bunch of kids will sing that same songs with a lot more energy and, uh, you know, um, yeah, than us and it, it wouldn't make sense for us to actually do that. And I kind of as an exit line to the band said that if we were making our own music then you know then that would be different because then nobody can just replace us like that, and uh, I remember somebody in that meeting said then let 's make our music and I was like, "Whoa, okay, what the hell is that?" you know I had no intention <laughs> of about, about getting into that space and so we called a band meeting and uh, so it was me john Baiju clyde and Rex Vijayan from Avial. So Rex was a young 17-year-old who was just coming into an acclimate at that time. So all five of us actually met for the first time in uh, a place called the, uh, the Ancient marina, which was a floating restaurant in Cochin. And we met there, and we were sitting and discussing about what kind of music to make, and all of us had different tastes in music. Uh, like I, I like rock. Uh, John liked death metal. Uh, Baiju liked progressive. Rex was also into the progressive space. Clyde liked country music. And so we were all, what do we do? And and John was telling me, you should growl. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I don't growl. And uh, so we're sitting there and, you know, trying to make something and I, I was looking completely... And I said, what about lyrics? And they said, do whatever you want. Nobody's going to read whatever you write anyway. And then I said, okay. And I'm sitting down there and I'm wondering what to write. And then John walks up to me and he says, you should write something called dissolution because you look disillusioned. And that is the very first lines that I wrote, I basically said, I have a dream that consumes me. I bring along a simple question, will my perceptions be your reality, will your, sorry, will your perceptions be my reality and will mine become an intrusion? And that's where I started my journey as a songwriter. <laughs>
1: songs like uh, Maya and Soul Corporations, there are very interesting Indian elements on those two tracks and the latter even made it onto a compilation in Japan. So uh, how did fusing fusing those Indian elements with the powerful rock riffs that you guys had come about?
0: Well, I think uh, in our case some of it happened by chance and maybe because we were in Kerala and you know that kind of music is around us in some sense. Uh, I think in the first album that we were making, we were trying to make music that nobody could tell that we were an Indian band, in that sense, you know, we were initially just writing rock songs the way that we would write rock songs, but Maya somehow had that kind of a a slight, I don't know why it became like that, but it became like that, and uh, what happened in, uh, what happened in Soul Corporations, which actually went on to the Japanese radios and stuff and all like that, uh, was, while the recording was going on, there was a friend of the band who was a flautist. His name was Sachin, and he was in the studio. And so I think Bajju said, why don't you just play something? And so he just did that. <laughs> you know that there was a certain uh, riff that he kind of uh, you know, played on. And uh, Bajju also did a thing along with that. And we listened to it and we said, it's nice, man. And, and so we kept that. And I think we kind of went into the Carnatic and, you know, the mixing of Indian styles more as a natural progression. It kind of, it kind of started happening and we allowed it to happen after some time.
1: The The under a minute uh, acoustic Ode to Life is a nice change of pace on the album. Uh, What was the thinking of having like this short piece of music on the album? Because I think it's 45 or 46 seconds. Well,
0: I I do remember that, uh, actually I was, uh, personal story, Um, so I had actually uh, gone to Kotaim because one of my aunts had passed away and uh, there was this uh, ceremony that was happening and, you know, and when I was in the church, I basically went out to the cemetery because my mom had passed away long back and so I just basically went to pay respects. I was sitting there, and as I was sitting there, I heard this, uh, somebody was giving a, a sermon or a eulogy, and he was talking about how nice, an aunt, uh, how nice a person, my aunt person, et etc., etc. And it seemed to me that, you know, this was the very same words that I had heard long ago when my mom passed. And so, I just, these lines just came to me, which says that death continues to stalk us, sometimes gently, mostly not. I'm at the age when loved ones die, and as I live, I understand why. And so I just wrote these lines, and after finishing you know, everything, I went back to Arnaiklam the next day, and I walked into the jam uh, space. And uh, Bhaiji was playing an acoustic kind of uh, chuma. I think he was just messing around. And I said, you know what, I have, I have something I'd <laughs> like to sing in that. And uh, I basically just took these four lines and sang it. and. And he said, is there any more? I said, no. He said, add anything more? I said, no. It's already saying everything it needs to say. So I said, let's just leave it like that. And that's how An 0 to Life came to be.
1: The lyrics on Walk On come across as quite inspirational. I mean, you said earlier that no one's going to read it, but if you pay attention to Walk On, it it, it comes across as very eye-opening. What can you tell me about uh, this song?
0: Well, one of the things about, I mean, though that was the first uh, things that I was told as a songwriter that write whatever nobody will, now I actually have come to enjoy, and I did come to enjoy writing more than anything else. You know, I think for me, primarily music has been about you know, writing and uh, putting out my thoughts and uh, and then the music comes after that. For me, it's always been in that, in that space. I'll write something and then the music will come out of that. And one of the things that I remember about Rock On was that uh, I once got a letter from some chap and he said that his brother, I think his brother's name was Praveen or something like that. He said, my brother just passed away and uh, he had cancer. And I just wanted you to know that uh, every day he would actually play Rock On and, uh, sorry, walk on, and uh, you know, it was something that inspired him, and uh, uh, I just wanted you to know how much that song meant to him, and that was something that just hit me, and I realized just just how much music can make sense of the difficulties of lives. You know, you can celebrate, you can celebrate life with music, obviously, but sometimes you can make sense of pain, and despair, and you know, tough situations. And music can actually give you that, that feeling that you're bigger than this mortal body that you were in, so to speak. And uh, yeah, Walk On is pretty inspirational in that sense. And uh, another story that I, since you just brought up Walk On, a story that I remember is that a friend of mine said, this is such a perfect song for uh, Bhishma in the Mahabharata, because he was somebody who would never die until he wanted to, no? So actually. He was reading the lyrics and saying that I am an immortal, baptized in fire, unable to die unless I desire, I am the light walking the darkest dawn, I am the human spirit walking on. And you, you actually start realizing one thing that you will write a song for one reason, but the song becomes other people's songs once it reaches them. Once you put it out there, you really have no control about how it's going to be seen, how it's going to be understood and how much it is adapted into somebody else's life. So, Walk On was pretty interesting in that sense, yeah. I mean, th- these are all 20-year-old memories virtually, and uh, another thing I, I do remember about this is, uh, I'm writing the song, and uh, uh, so we, we read somewhere with the song, and then it's got this very weird, uh, what do you call it, uh, Chorus. I'm the mortal baptized in fire, unable to die unless I desire. It goes like that, right? It's a very peculiar thing. So, um, I remember that Bhaiju had one of those uh, riffs that, dun- 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 dun. so you know, he had done that. He said, can you sing with this? I said, I can't sing with that. I mean, it's, it didn't have a meter, it didn't have anything at all. And so, I had left that, and I had gone back to Bangalore, and I was driving, and I was just passing the Containment Railway Station. There's a little circle there. I'm turning around there, and suddenly I remember these words, and I start singing it in melody. And <laughs> I'm remembering that, oh wow, will this actually go with whatever this fellow played? And I remember that at those days, I mean, I, I I I had a mobile phone in that time, and so I called. I no, I didn't have a mobile phone. I reached, I reached home, and then I called him, and I said, hey, can you just play that? Me- you know whatever you were playing I because I kept singing that melody, so that I would have forget it you know all the way home and reached home and I called him, and I said, "Can you play that?" He played it, I said, "I think I have something I can sing with that and so that 's how that song came into play it was It was interesting in those days you didn 't have all the technology that you had now no?
1: <laughs> What do you remember from the from the recording sessions, any couple of moments that stand out for you from putting the album together while recording it oh, yeah so
0: We have written nine songs, okay, we've written eight songs. We want to do an album of at least nine songs. We've written eight songs, we've composed eight songs. Uh, I've written more, but we haven't composed uh, nine songs. And then I'm talking to my brother in law, who was in Australia, my sister, they had come visiting, and so they were like, Okay, what are your sounds like? I said, It's like this. And he says, Why don't you record? I said, We don't have money. And he said, How much does it cost? And in those days, it was a pricely amount of money that you had to spend in for about an hour of recording in a studio. No, it was, it was huge. So I said, We don't have the money. And he very sweetly, I remember, he said, I'll give you, how much do you think it will come to? So I said, Maybe some 20,000 or 25,000. He said, I'll give you the money. I said, are you serious? He said, yes. So then, and I went and told the guys, I said, you know what, I think we can get in and record. And so we got in and we did uh, six days of recording. And then we went broke and we had not actually finished anything. (laughs) And then then by that i already started. So then we waited for another six months because at that time I kind of, I was working, so I kind of saved some money. And six months later, we got back into the studio and recorded another three days of recording and we finished the recording and again we went broke (laughs) and again we waited for another three months and saved enough money to send it for mixing and mastering. So it was actually nine days in the studio, but it was over a year. (laughs) That was something that I remember about that particular album. But I felt so proud the moment we finally got that CD in our hands. I was like whoa you know this is that was something that one of my friends said he said listen man you, you have to go out there and record i said do you think it'll make monetary sense he says don't think about that right now he says at least when you die or oh, even if you're stuck in an office job for the rest of your life at least you can look on your table and see your cd over there and say that i did this and i thought that that was a very uh, i said absolutely i have to do this and so when i first finally saw that cd in my hand i was like wow just recorded an album. (laughs) I didn't even think, I've not learned music. I wasn't a poet. I didn't read poetry in school. And suddenly I'm sitting there and singing uh, uh, in a, you know, self composed album with a bunch of guys that I really enjoyed making music with them. It was a great feeling, man.
1: And finally, 18 years on now, since the album came out, what are your thoughts on it now when you reflect back and think back on the entire album?
0: Uh, I really enjoyed that album. I still do. And uh, I think it's also because since that uh, when you listen to a piece of recorded music, what comes back to your mind is not just the music, actually the incidents associated with that, that recording, you know, the mixing, the Mustang, the recordings, you know, everything that you went through as people is somehow captured in an album. Uh, there's that frame of, uh, it, it, is, it, it is in many ways, it's a capturing of the energies that you were going through at that particular moment in time. So sometimes you can have bad albums also. Not that the songs don't sound good, but your memories associated with that recording can be bad, you know. <laughs> and so when you listen to that recording, you say, oh, no, no, I don't want to go there. Uh, and uh, I have very good memories of Insane Biography. It was real fun because we did something that we didn't believe we could do. And, you know, it it was really weird that we we pulled off that thing. I remember when we were trying to make the album itself, the guys were like, yeah, you know what, doesn't really make sense? We will do this. And then many years later, I mean, sorry, once we record this, we'll go to Bombay or Delhi and say, listen, we've got this album and somebody will say, can you sing it in Hindi? You know, that question will come. You know, the guys told me that at that point of time. And I said, yeah, okay, let's let's just see what we can do. And... uh, The last album, I mean, the last song in that album is called Sh Listen. Yeah. And I remember telling the guys, while I was trying to basically just get everybody all uh, hyped up and uh, psyched up for the album, I said, you know, uh, reality wavers in the face of conviction. Yeah, it was something that I was just telling the guys, I said, listen, we can do this. I said, if we are strong about our convictions, the reality will actually waver in the face of our convictions. And I said, whoa, that is a song. And that became the ninth song <laughs> that we did because we had written eight and so on then. So the last, very last lines in the album are, and listen to the insane conviction, uh, uh, insane prediction, reality wavers in the face of conviction and it did for us, it did.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot Suraj Man for your time, it's been a pleasure talking to you and revisiting some old stories and learning so much more about insane biography and appreciate all your time
0: thanks man thanks man